Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. We wish you a Merry Christmas. That's like the Q thing. Right, exactly. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John, Father Mike. Round two here, coming off of uh, the Goble and the Rap, and whatever happened, and it was some sweet koinonia, because they were just fawning over the topic oh, when cool. I came back in. Well, we, so. t- we talked about the temple. Yeah, I, uh, oh, I, uh, hey, no, that was the first time, first time right. podcast history that I've had to actually air out a room. I leave you guys for 30 minutes in my sitting room and it smells like a hockey locker room in here. See, there so are better know, days than others. I don't know what friend. was happening. A lot of heavy sweating, I guess, while you were talking you know what, about the John? temple or what was going on in here. <laughs> that's called man smell. That's called man smell. Sometimes when you're a man, is that what happens? Tell me about it. I was, I, was, I actually ran here, so it's it's kind of gross. Fine, get over it. Look, we appreciate people, it. People smell weird. We appreciate it. You know, we appreciate it. So I'm just happy you're here, Mike, and I'm happy we're podcasting. Um, you know, speaking of like, um, I don't, well, I don't even know what I'm saying, but uh, I listened to your recent podcast. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but I did, and um, with with Father Nathan, where you were talking semiotics. And yeah, you're, t- you're talking about language, yeah. dude. I told you I, I kind of wanted to. Can do that I topic say I don't like complimenting you, but I would say that the conclusion that you came to was one of my top ten favorite, most underrated moments. That I have ever encountered. Well, thank because you. Because it that was brilliant. Thank I you. I loved it. Well, I hope I loved the point about communication and people, op- you know, human beings opening their eyes and becoming human in this moment of communication. I thought that was brilliant. You go. I never for heard that. anything you like think, that. You think like that. You think, yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. And then I had a recommendation. Um, Area of growth is what we call it in seminary. No, no, no. Well, I guess you could say it's just a book to add to your bibliography. Steven Pinker, he's a Harvard professor. Steven who, Pinker. Yeah, who was under uh, uh, Chomsky, right? Ah, okay. And he has Write a book. That down. He's a pretty secular dude, um, teaches at Harvard now. And um, But he, he, he does semiotics and uh, neuroscience. And um, he has a book called The Language Instinct. Mm. And he does some very fascinating research on how, um, why it is that every human being can figure out how to communicate with people who don't speak their language. Like, that shouldn't work. Yeah. But his, his theory is in the, I mean, it shouldn't work. Like, why is it that you or I could learn Chinese? Uh-huh. And communicate with Chinese people, uh, or we could learn sign language or something like that. And um, even though these things, you know, are they take a lot of work, but culturally, and they take a lot of different sounds and everything. But at root, concepts are the same, and the way that we communicate is the same, mm. similar enough that it's possible for everyone to learn language. And he has like all these cool examples of how. Um, People raised by wolves, you know, um, come into society and can learn to communicate just fine. Now, I mean, not I like not, not just fine. It's not easy, but they can. And his, uh, in the end, 
an argument that he makes that I found very interesting was that on the basis of this language instinct, he's basically arguing for human nature, that we all must be a related species mm. that has the same brains that can communicate the same way because you can't communicate interspecies, um, not with direct communication. Like you couldn't learn to, to speak cat. And the cat and the monkey, they can communicate with their own, but they can't communicate with each other the same huh. way, huh. right? So in between, it's like you can't breed between species. You can't communicate. I mean, you, you can, like a, you can ring a bell and then the cat can come for dinner or something like right. that. But it, that's just basic sig- language, signaling. Yeah. That's yeah. not language. So I thought it was very... Very interesting. Well, thanks, study, man. And I, uh, I recommend it. Look forward to reading that. Did you get into semiotics through your own research, or was this just personal hobbies? Like, did that tie into your your work the last few years? Well, that that was recommended by my professor of Aramaic in Rome, um, uh. Doctor uh, No Father Craig Morrison. He's a doctor too, but uh, Craig Morrison. He's a Syriac specialist and a Carmelite. And he recommended this book because he did say we were studying how language functions and what words are used to, to talk about what in different um, languages. But you should try to understand where language comes from and how it works mm. and what it means, like the, sim- the relationship between s- words as symbols and the things of them s- in themselves that we're pointing to. And we agree upon names for so this is all semiotics i like it right um, and he so he's just saying at the base of communication we're studying the second tier which is how people communicate things with different languages right but then below that is what is the relationship between words as labels and things or concepts or whatever can i ask you a question while we're on the topic of so ancient, this is not the topic. Tonight, ancient language. I know we'll get I, over this. I was just. I just love this your, is like, your point. Well, thank you. This and is, I thought, why didn't you save that podcast for me instead? Of I know. Kobo who just didn't, well, he was tired or something. Yeah, I. Well, I'd like to go into that language stuff with you again some other time. So we'll. But um, Code of Hammurabi was it written in cuneiform, or is it a language, per, a it's, writing language per se? I got to talk about this tomorrow, and I'm a little bit hazy on it. Well, cuneiform is a writing language. It's like proto writing, though. It's just not right? an alphabet. It's not an alphabet, right? Okay. So it does use. It uses more like um, a block symbol. Oh man! Or like what we would call is like different triangles, right? In mm-hmm. organized in a different pattern, but they're syllables. So it's not an alphabet. It's a it's a consonant and a vowel. Together. Okay. Did you know that was in the Louvre, the code? Did you go there? Yeah, I went there Absolutely. and I left, and I was like, "What? Why didn't they go down that hallway?" It's yeah. like ridiculous. It's one of the biggest things. Well, we're talking about. And then you yeah. have that uh, dates what, back to what? What's 18? that other thing? Rosetta Stone? That's in the British. Oh, okay. Code of Hammurabi is one of the oldest kind of extended writing pieces yeah. that we have that right. goes back to. Yeah, it's the it's, first work of work of literature or history or that we consider because it's it's, it's the, big enough to consider. I mean, a, there's it's probably the oldest work of stuff written, that's, written work. Right. The first example of writing, okay. basically, that you can study. What are you doing tomorrow at 8 a.m.? You want to come in and teach this class? I would love for you to 
riff on this stuff. And it is, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's cuneiform. Okay. It all, it all was until, oh, see, now I'm going to get myself confused. Maybe Ar- Aramaic, like a real old Aramean. That was the first. Phoenician, our alphabet is related to Phoenician. That's why we call it phonetics and everything. Oh, interesting. Um, but even the Phoenicians, we don't know what that, who they were, how that worked. So. Yeah. Anyway. Nice. No, I'm not going to come teach your class. Okay. I got stuff to do. All I got right. a life to live. You got a life to live. Living your best life. That the, I am. Okay. Well, I thank you for that extended. That was that was called um, sophisticated banter right there. Where you're. Well, uh, I just thought it was. I thought it was cool, and I like the monogenism generally. Yeah. Thank I you. wonder. It was a lot. I'm skeptical about your your theory. Okay. But I think you know you're just you're just parroting the the good solid current science that right, we have right, right. now. <clears throat> I, would I think, you know, look, to be to be a responsible scholar and thinker, that's what you got to do, though. You right. got to accept the specialized research that other people are doing. Right. So it's not like I'm going to say, oh, yeah, you figure it all out mm-hmm. yourself. You know, whatever is, whatever they're saying, the experts are saying, they, they, we got to work with that. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, Cool. You're cool. You're cool, John. Um, I was looking for this thing about um, the Sermon on the Plain from your Luke's Gospel. Uh. Well, anyway, I'm just going to say it because I can't find it here. And I ran over here from four miles, and I didn't have my Bible in hand, so I can't quote the chapter verse. You turn your microphone towards your mouth a little bit. Oh. I want to make sure everybody hears well, you. Well, this thing isn't... Okay. Pull it back a little bit. Okay. I'm just not... Well, I don't have a very strong voice, John. <laughs> <laughs> I I really get annoyed listening to my thing because it's nasally. We can't. We, I, nobody nasally. nobody likes their own get voice. Some, like, no, it's terrible. I don't know. Like Voiceover? We could no, do like no, some, like one of those sal- oh, the, saline flushes for no, your What sinuses? about those things? Athlete, yeah, everybody used to wear those. The, yeah, the little breathe, strip, right strip. breathe right strips. Yeah, yeah we'll get exactly. you some of those just hey, to podcast. Listener land. You know what? I've uh, This is how I found out that I'm not very popular on this podcast. That I made... <laughs> this guy over here with the curly hair, he talks about beaver nuggets. And, and he gets beaver nuggets. Are, he's swimming in it like those kids <laughs> in those those ball pits right which i understand are not sanitary and not <laughs> no longer in use but i i mentioned that i love sandalwood and and sandalwood scented thing not a you didn't get any sandalwood not a mention not a maybe candle start not uh, a little bottle of essential oils maybe start more basic i mean he, his his loves are very basic sour patch kit he does one basic I did. thing no you know what I, they one used to send me consumable sour patch one consumable object he does until he totally burns out of it, and then he moves on and to then another he one. It. So maybe you start that. Start with like I don't know Skittles or something. All right, sandalwood was kind of a strong yeah, intro. I don't, nobody knows what that is, and it's heavy for like shipping. Okay, and honestly, I probably detracted uh, about the socks, which uh, you know kind of undercut both your reputation and the the interest of people you know buying you things. So well, okay, so you know to be honest. I mentioned this thing, but I do think it's kind of pretentious that we're always like, hey, shout out to so-and-so sent us this, so-and-so sent us this, so-and-so sent us this. And we got like 
Anyway, thank you, people. I think it's great that you. So you're are, unshouting are out very, everybody who sent very things. Kind. Is that what you're doing? No, I just feel I just feel strange. Can you do anti shoutouts? Can you block what Goebel just <laughs> yeah. did? I deny the shout out that, that was, uh, Grady's friends just got. Jared and Cassie Langles. Langles. I do not congratulate you on your coming right. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I need to get into a topic because I'm sermon on the plane. I'm getting exposed as a bigot and a mean dude that I am. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, we're on the sermon on the plane. There's a difference between an important statement that Jesus makes in Matthew and in Luke. In Matthew, Jesus says, "Be perfect as your heavenly heavenly Father Father is perfect." perfect. In Luke, Jesus says, "Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful." With the term oikirmon. Okay. Oiktirmon. Be um, merciful is is oiktirmon. Okay. Now that's that's great. Merciful, and um, but I want to say, like this is used to describe God by Luke, right? Be like God. Be merciful. Be merciful like your heavenly Father is merciful, right? So this for Luke is kind of a definition point. This relates to language. Huh? Mm. So if you want to describe what is God, John says. Agape. God is love. Um, Matthew somehow is saying God is perfection, you know, and somehow Luke is saying, now this, these categories don't necessarily exhaust their thought, but Luke is saying God is mercy, right? Merciful. Did you go to any of the um, first masses of the deacons? Oh, uh, no. Two of them gave the Sorry, same Sorry, guys. Homo- I had the cold and I thought it was coronavirus. Uh, I'm not going to go spread it first around. First case in, the, in Colorado. Uh Two guys gave the same homily. I mean, their own way, but it was this point of perfection is mercy oh. in God. They pulled the two sermons together. Sweet. Peter well, Sursich did that, and I guess Tony Davis. I wasn't at Tony's. Well, congratulations um, good, to good both little, of you. Good little tie. Peter and Tony. Peter is my favorite. Sorry, Tony. Peter is my favorite because he was one of my youth way back when I was a deacon. Yeah. He was a, a child. And I, so I've been praying for him for a long time. Tony's, I'm very proud that he's a Tony deacon. reminds me a lot of you, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. He's got the same punk spirit. You know what's funny about punks that I realized recently? You guys defy all labels. You can't call me a melancholic, except the label of punk, which you oh. completely embrace. It's you like relativism. It's like we all truths are relative except for this one truth. It's like all labels are go. offensive except punk. punk. I was like... I gotta ask Mike. But you about know what, that. though, I you know here's the, here's the other irony. You would never know because you're not <laughs> punk. You're not punk at all. I'm not punk. And uh, anybody who's not um, or far from it just accepts that when somebody says I'm right. punk. Yeah. You know, and there is something true about you can't. You know, I don't serve the man. Right. You can't hold me down. No. There's an independence to it. There's a kind of a provocateur touch to it but the thing is the punks they don't accept me as a punk because i'm not wearing leather and have spikes and so the way we use the term punk is to describe like a an attitude right and there's others who are hardcore who describe a culture and i don't belong to that I don't even listen to. But punk. I think that's even. I don't even listen to punk music anymore. I think that's. But e- I would say I'm punk. I, th- that's I love even, being punk. I think that's even more punk that you don't even wear what punks wear. Punk, you don't yeah. even look like a punk. You look like a, a guy who jogs. 
an old guy jogging <laughs> on Logan. Like a jogger. Okay. And, uh, but Tony is definitely of the same spirit, and he gave well, this cool, homily. Man. So, anyways, I mean, that's let's be friends. That you know what? No, that, you, can't, that's, you can't. That's you can't. What you I was can't do say. that. You can't. You know, punks no. aren't friends with punks. Mike gave a very well, famous a homily shame, on though. punk. Uh, Jesus is punk. It was, it was Jesus probably is. one of the most memorable homily, homilies of the last decade. You're coming up on ten years as a priest. Can you believe that? But that was years that's ago true. in the May hut. 15th, huh? I think that's the only sermon that all of my college students remembered. Jesus is punk. Jesus I remember is punk. That, that was, that was a great, out on a deck. Out on a deck. That was a cool. Everybody was wrapped in sleeping bags. That was bags. about Parisia too. Yeah, that was awesome. Those are some of my favorite things. That was a great, great memory. <laughs> Good memory. Walk down memory lane. Okay, back to the topic. So God is mercy. Um, Pope Francis wrote a book like that. Um, Our God is mercy, with that title. Anyway, I uh, so this is a this is a term for God, Oikteirmon, and. I, I thought it was interesting. I'm giving a talk on mercy soon. So um, looking back in the Old Testament, you find this name or you find this term as an actual name for God. God is only named twice in the Old Testament. Can you think of where God basically reveals his own name or Um, its own name, whatever? Genesis 2, Yahweh, or is that not a personal name? It's there, but where does God reveal a, the name. Well, Moses. There you go. I was thinking of Hesed. Is that where you're going with this? No. Well, it's it. it that doesn't really mean included. mercy. Okay. Well, Hesed. Yeah, that's included. But um, so I'll, I'll fill you in. Sorry, this is quiz show. Um, so is yeah. In Genesis three, you get um, Moses saying. Who are you? Exodus three. Says, are you? Am I the God of your fathers and everything? Yeah. Exodus okay. three. What did I say? Yeah. Exodus three. So then he's telling Moses, and Moses says, "Who are you?" So I can tell the people when I go and say, "Let my people go and worship God in the world." Who is this God? And he basically dodges the question, and then he he reveals Adonai, the Tetragrammaton, mm-hmm. and it's. Translate and he and then he explains one of the I, first podcasts ever was on I the tetragrammaton. I am, yeah, so that was good. I am who I am, and you can listen to the podcast about the tetragrammaton. I am who I am, but that's kind of a dodge, like don't ask me, and also like this huge metaphysical kind of claim right. that God, I am everything and nothing that you know, and the source of being, all this stuff. Well, you can ask Father John. I was his, thinking of Dr. Selner Wright, who his, listens to the podcast. Dog, Shout out. Dog She's dog probably right. jumping up up and down right now. Yeah. There's metaphysical import. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Well, Spilt water. Doc, Sorry. Susan, Dr. Selner Wright, you're going to love that. Uh, but I'm not talking about that. Okay. So the other time is in Exodus 34, uh, verse 6. Moses has gone back up the mountain. God says, okay, you, dis- you cra- uh, cracked all those tablets. Now bring the bring new tablets, and I'm gonna um, write on them again. You remember that part? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, and then uh, Moses is invited to witness the glory of God, right? And he sees his back, and then a, a voice says, or God says, uh, "The Lord, the Lord, merciful and." Compassionate or generous. You got the Bible right there. Rahun. I got a Hebrew in your head. Go for it. Okay. And in Greek, in the Septuagint, it is um, Hotheos 
Oiktirmon. Oiktirmon. So it's like a title. Mercy God. Huh. The merciful God. You know, it's almost like Oiktirmon or Adonai Adonai Rahun is the the name. And then it goes on. It says Hotheos Oiktirmon. Kai and then it goes through this list, including Hesed and Emmet, faithfulness. Emmet, um, where we get the word amen, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So there's, there are these other adjectives that are describing the Lord, but it's almost like in the Septuagint, this is a title, mercy God. Hmm. Okay. So, it, and that's like Tirmon. So when Luke is saying, uh, be merciful as your father is merciful, he's saying like, this is the name of our God. Be like, this is the best way that we know God. Okay. So that's the name of this God in ancient Canaanite um, kind of context, right? Who is, uh, so I, I want to talk about the rivals of this mercy God. You know, if you call this God mercy, um, who are the rival gods at the time? There is especially two kind of favorites, candidates for enemies and rivals of God in the, in the land of Canaan um, early on. They are Baal and Asherah. Baal and Asherah. Now, have I talked about them? I don't think so. On the podcast? Yes, sweet. Because I wasn't sure. I was Apis, to... Apis, th- that just doesn't do anything. That's just in the desert. The Apis? The, the Egyptian, Egyptian god of the fertility, the, the no, golden calf. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh, the history of religions wants to bucket all of these gods into the same. Okay. You know. So you didn't think it was Apis? They were all the they were calf. all just re- remakes, rehashes uh. of these old Persian or Canaanite gods. Okay. I don't know that they're the same. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Apis. But that's um that's Baal, the bull. The bull. Okay. Um yeah. yeah I'm yeah. watching your brain file through yeah, You've, I'm trying to... There's a lot of information. My eyes here. go all funky. No, it's... Uh, okay, well, so Well, I could be wrong about those those things, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Okay, Ball. cool. So, but the, the reason I bring it up is uh, we're going into Lent, and you got Baal and Asherah. The old Canaanite stories is that Baal... There was one, uh, one creator god called El, and then El has this consort Asherah, but El is the highest god, and then his son Baal oh. ends up killing him to take over and becomes the god of life. This is and, Canaanite religion, yeah, and regeneration. So Baal becomes the the god of uh, really strength. So and when you say, when you say Canaanite religion, and you got all these different, so they're coming into the promised land here, and you got the Jebusites and all these different. Yeah. Is this all the same kind of thing, or are they all? This is just Canaanite. Religiosity. Well, no, they're all they're all following these things. And if you read Joshua, you'll you'll read over and over. And they did not put the people away, and they fell into um, worship of Baal and Asherah. Okay, Baal and Asherah, or the Baals. You can use this as a shorthand for the gods. Asherah was the consort. Asherah. What'd you say? Asherah is the consort, so the female god who of El. Compliment. It was El. And Baal. Maybe the mother, but we're not sure. And then Baal takes Asherah as his consort. Oh. Okay. So it's Baal and Asherah. Baal is the god, you can basically say, of success. 
So you go up on top of the mountain to worship Baal if you're a Baal follower. If you're a baller. If you're a baller. Did that's I take actually, your joke? No, that's actually a pretty good one for this. All right. Um, so if you're a baller, <laughs> shot caller. Dad jokes. Oh, yeah, man. Nice. You go, uh, you go up to the top of the hill, and then you do all these rites of wrestling, fighting, bloodletting, sacrifices, animal sacrifices that you, you where they're probably pretty brutal, crushing bones. Um, just it's, it's violence and strength and shows of strength. And then you're doing this in, maybe in preparation of war, or you're doing this to get all pumped up to go and compete in your life. Huh. Right, so this is a way of being successful. You get all riled up and jacked up, and then you can be strong. Right? Okay. So that that's the god of success. Asherah. You is, should start a CrossFit gym called Baal. Baal. Well, it's yeah. That's that's the point. We're gonna get there. Right. But um, then you got Asherah, who is the fertility goddess. So if your sex life is going a little lame, you go up to the top of the hills and they have all kinds of funky rituals that will get your drives moving and give you ideas and inspire you to go and, and, um, and be more successful in your life of pleasure and fun. Hmm. Um, now, this had a practical purpose. In the, in the ancient world, having children was like essential to life it was the it was the goal of life it was the whole purpose was to carry on and to have a you know progeny and dynasty and everything you know have someone that you is going to care for you when you're old and who's going to inherit your stuff um but it's also you could just see this as the goddess of or the god of um fun and enjoyment so you have these two um freud's you know Freud says, "What what's moving us from our subconscious? Desire, what does he say? Sex and aggression. Sex and aggression. Yeah. Oh, wow, there the, it is. The two primal drives hmm. that keep us for, you know, survival of the fittest, keep us moving our sex and, ad- sex and aggression, and they're what moves us all. Hmm. So Freud is skeptical about everything. And he says, when you talk about, oh, I want, I got a job because I want to serve people or... You know, I got all high-minded ideas about helping people or whatever it is. It all comes down from your subconscious is acting out. You, these are ways that you're trying to conquer the world or just enjoy things, mm. you know, kind of survive. And, um, okay, so you have these two, these two primal drives in the Baal and the Asherah, success and enjoyment or fun. And I think those are temptations in every age. These are like the two mainstays of human life and fulfillment. The, the Israelites come along, and their God is mercy, right? Not even a God of justice. Um, not, there's no strength to this God, seemingly, or it can be accused of not having any strength. This Adonai can be accused of not being there for fun, if you're a follower of this one, you're probably not going to have those two most satisfying, we could call it secular values, but they were religious values at mm-hmm, the time, right? Mm-hmm. What it looks like to the rest of the Canaanites is your God is pathetic. And this is the God who says, why don't you trust me? If you trust me, I will provide for you. And 
both, you know, satisfaction, rest, and then, you know, triumph over your foes and protect you from all your people. But they couldn't hold on to the trust. They couldn't. They kept failing and failing and running after success and enjoyment instead of resting with God, trusting with him, and being, being satisfied and proud of their God who is mercy, you know? How would you define mercy? In the, in the Semitic understanding, especially, mercy is showing generosity to someone who doesn't deserve it, yeah, or doesn't earn it, yeah. Because deserve it means it sounds like they did something wrong. It might just be that they're weak and haven't done anything great, so then they don't deserve accolades. Yeah, why pay attention to them? You know, it's kind of the like the riffraff of our society. Why would you, you know, give somebody they don't what they don't deserve? Yeah, it's giving somebody what they don't deserve. Yeah, which. We've become so inundated with Christian value that this God has conquered. In for most people, when you say, "Should you be merciful?" it's just like a, it's a synonym with good values. Right. In our even in our post-Christian society, so I think people instinctually look down on it. On mercy. Yeah, but they kind of want to want to espouse it, want to live their life. With mercy, they want to follow that God, hmm. but in the in the end, we all too often follow the other ones. That's this is a really interesting topic because um, you know you often wonder it's like what what happened in Israel? Why did they collapse into idolatry? And you, know, you think of like Solomon and then all of his wives and he starts building temples for their gods and these things. And it's like, what? but it makes sense when you think of it in terms of the secular values that drive all of us as postmodern men and women, especially sex um, and strength, right? Yeah. And that is just, that's what sells. That's what everything is about, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it's been like that since the beginning. And those are the false gods uh, that we choose and there's this nobility. So we're talking about, you know, like back when we were marrying Neanderthals. Well, not marrying, probably. Right. <laughs> probably had the club in hand. Um, but <laughs> there, is a, there is an evolutionary process. And at some point, I think, you know, you pointed out some of that evolution. I think part of the evolution was human beings were sorting out what is the gr- what are the greatest things and who are these gods? What is inspiring us? Maybe you could say yeah. it that way. For 60,000 years right. before the time we're talking about. Okay? Human beings are instinctually religious. We want to know what's beyond us. We believe in something beyond us. They've been trying to figure that out for a long time. It's one of the earliest sciences. You know, art and science, one of the first studies is... What are these powers around mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. And they've been thinking about this for much longer than we've, you know, had a history. And um, and so these uh, these practices, these cults, these were like scientific kind of claims. You know, these this is the best way of relating to the gods, and this is the best way of thinking of them, right? And this is profound, but I think there's a huge evolutionary step and a huge claim when a people come along and say, you could have a different god that nobody nobody believes in but everybody wants mm. this mercy thing we could be we could be better than ourselves right we can be like a different kind of animal out here because we're capable of this thing that doesn't fit into nature nature responds with justice and mercy is only a human possibility yeah 
I love it. This is a great, um, great uh, development of what we started talking about a couple weeks ago. Early cave paintings, you know, so humans. Art is the signature of humanity. I read that from Chesterton today. Yeah, I love that. Great line from the everlasting man. Art is the signature of humanity. But what are they painting? They're painting a lot of animals, but it's about strength and battle and who has power over these the beasts, you know? Yeah. Um, because they're so radically dependent on, and their life is so precarious. And, and what are the oldest artifacts? And sex also, I was going to say fertility. Yeah. Fertility right? goddesses. And, fertility goddesses. And, then, and arrowheads. Right. Weapons. Right. So this is from the very beginning, but then, yeah, there. Is there anything more contrary to the spirit of survival of the fittest than mercy? It doesn't make any sense no, it in doesn't. terms of a di- if you're a Darwinian dogmatist, so not in the sense of you believe the science, but if you espouse that kind of thing that says everything is determined um, and kind of materialistic and all these things, there's nothing that the whole spirit of this doesn't make any sense. Right. Sacrificial love, giving that which is not due, the possibility of mercy. And that God, this would be the definitive attribute of God. Wow, you know, yeah, it's weakness. In, that that's in perfection. Part. Yeah. Now you could be cynical enough, and um, who is this? Nietzsche was like this. He looked at the. He told the story of the Jews as this very clever ruse to take the upper hand right. by being the victim right. and by promoting this God who is like weak. Oh, weakness is strength, and um, and you could see like I don't know. There's certain movies. I think of something like the gladiator, you know, um, there are advantages to saying I'll show mercy and then people will respect you more or like you more. And it's just a way of exercising control. Um, but in the end, if you're consistently merciful, you're undermining your own control and enjoyment. Um, and you're just investing yourself in something that is, not going to pay off the way that other people expect to, you know, find. And I think it's just, it's part of the religious sense. I mean, it really is like, why should I spend my weekend praying and doing religious stuff and trying to be close to God who is kind of weak? Because our God around here is um, is this merciful God. Like, why should I be, go and hear somebody talking about love and talking about serving people and trying to be like more virtuous than I am. Uh, who cares? Why don't I go to the mountains, ski, drink some beers, have some fun with my, my friends. That's life. Mm-hmm. That's satisfaction. That's a good life. Why don't I go and make another trade, call another client by conquer something else in my career? Cause that's a good life. Right. Um, Success and fun are the definitions. And then why would you sacrifice that stuff? Mm -hmm. And the Christian says, well, trust. You know, we believe that this God is is real and that this God is going to provide. And it makes for a good life. And that we're desperately in need of the mercy of God at at the origin of our being and at the, the kind of source of all of our desires is that, and this is the... What's so interesting about the fall, I was just reading Christopher Dawson and his whole read on Asian religions is that they equate creation with the fall. Is that interesting to think oh, about? okay, yeah. So then um, all contingent being is suffering, right? Right. Life is suffering. Life is suffering, yeah. It's interesting. So, But if you separate that, if the fall is a historical event, 
which separates us, then this mercy of God is that which he manifests himself as merciful because his whole work is restoring the covenant that's lost in the beginning. And if you step into that and you start to say, no matter how much mercy I receive from contingent people, beings, you know, uh, friends, it's never enough. It's never enough. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't satisfy the kind of the primordial catastrophe at the beginning of human nature, which I share in, um, and that's why I desperately need that. And that's why I'm not going to go just ski pow with my buddies on Sunday morning, and I'm going to actually go to Mass for, you know, for yeah. that reason, because I need, I need to live in the mercy of God. But if we don't experience that, and if we don't live from that, then I think we, we miss a lot. It's also interesting that you said that the, ter- the term mercy God happens in Exodus 34, right? Mm-hmm. So it's after Exodus 32, the big fall, the second yeah. fall, you know, so to speak, after the, I mean, which is a massive. Calf. Yeah, that's where he's smashed those, smashed those uh, tablets. Yeah, but there's a reassertion of God as mercy, that his being is mercy after Exodus 32. I think that's very, yeah. very interesting. And remember, Moses gets down there, and one of his great priestly kind of activities is God says, step aside, Moses, I'll save you, let me destroy this people. Right. And he says, I'll start over. Like, things will be better. And Moses says, don't, don't. For my sake, uh, save these people and and uh, show mercy, mm. show your clemency. And then, um, and then after, soon after, I mean, the story kind of shifts a little bit, and then soon after, Moses is invited back on the mountain, and then his name is revealed. God is mercy. Sweet so, man. Yeah, there you go. That's your great topic. Now, now that we're in Lent, you can ask yourself, well, why am I sacrificing my pleasure and my mm-hmm. success? Strength. And there's very good reason to do so. It's because our God is mercy and because it will help you to be conformed to Christ, who is the Pope Francis says is the face of the Father, mm. who is mercy. This is like a vision of mercy. So you can be transformed into mercy incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> Father Crystal, I'm sorry. Speaking of which, we got to go meet him for dinner, so we better wrap All this right, thing buddy. up. Great topic. You got any shout-outs? So you probably already did your shout-outs. Uh, I, <laughs> no, I don't know. I, let's... No, go ahead. I was going to do one, but it was to somebody who gave us something. So this whole kind of transactional. Oh, come on. Just do it. It's just called gratitude, All right. Callista Colrust is a parishioner of Sam, Father Sam Moorhead at All Souls. And she gave, via Ian Wintering, a great care package. And it was called the Midterm Survival Kit. And it's all of our favorite stuff. And the guys have been... Uh, you know, sad eating all week as they. Oh, you know what? I had some of those. So thank you to d- double for, chunk uh, cheeses. Yeah, toasty cheeses. Those are the best. Oh, yes. Yeah. So thank you for the uh, thinking of the guys here at the seminary and for the care package. I also caught your cheese it thief uh, with his Ian. hand with his hand in the cookie jar. As, as long as say. as long as the box isn't in his bin. That's I mean, all. he was literally there with his hand in the thing when <laughs> I went got, to get my tea. He's got a problem. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> What about, I'm going to shout out this lady, Agnes, whose name, whose last name I don't know. 103 years old, or coming up on 103. Great Catholic. She's been praying for a very long time. And um, I, she, she has got dementia, and it's scary for her. It's only recently developed. When I got there, she was complaining about stuff and scared, and all this stuff was, you could tell, it was like a lot in her mind. 
And when I came in and brought in the Eucharist, she straightened up in her chair, put her hands together in prayer, and then crossed herself. Beautiful. She's ready. Let's pray. That's yeah, awesome. Wasn't that cool? So she knows Jesus. That's yeah. a life well lived. Yeah. And, and a very religious woman who, at the end, is going to receive the peace of Jesus, and then she's going to go see him. But 103. 103. Praise God. Good for Man. you, Agnes. Beautiful. Well, I hope you're doing that at 103. We know Greg, Father Greg Peterson will still be alive, so he's going to live forever. But that's, you probably as well. That's true. And he'll still be saying his prayers. Global and me, and not so much. But pretending to exercise. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Greg. All right, let's wrap it up. Hey, great topic. Thanks, Mike. Good to be with you, buddy. Yeah, likewise. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next week.